This is Law for Community Workers on the Go, a podcast for community and health workers. We would like to begin by acknowledging that this episode was recorded and made on Gadigal land. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land and pay our respects to elders past and present. We acknowledge that this is Aboriginal land. Always was, always will be. Hello, my name is Kerry Wright and I work in the Legal Aid New South Wales Community Legal Education Team. In this episode, I speak to Sally Jews. Sally is a conciliation officer with Anti-Discrimination New South Wales. Sally talks to me about the types of unlawful discrimination that people can complain about in New South Wales. Sally also talks about the conciliation conference process that they use when a complaint is made and the types of outcomes people achieve through these. Welcome Sally. Thank you, nice to be here. Can you tell us about the role of anti-discrimination New South Wales and also your role as a conciliation officer? Well, Anti-Discrimination New South Wales is a state government agency and its main functions are to administer the Anti-Discrimination Act, provide an inquiry line, investigate discrimination complaints, which involves getting both sides of the story, helping parties resolve complaints, raising community awareness about discrimination and its impacts, providing input on proposed amendments to discrimination legislation, and reviewing and granting exemptions to discrimination provisions as allowed for under the Act. What we don't do is take sides in disputes or make determinations about whether alleged conduct constitutes unlawful discrimination. Okay, and what's your role in all that? (laughs) (laughs) My role is that of a conciliation officer. So when complaints are accepted for investigation, I undertake the investigation and where appropriate help parties resolve complaints by conciliation. So conciliation is a process by which we engage the parties in discussions about how a matter can resolve on terms that the parties agree to. So conciliation may be arm's length, for example, an exchange of correspondence, or it might be in the form of a conciliation conference. As a result of COVID-19, the majority of our conferences have been held using Microsoft Teams, although we are just returning to -to face-to-face conferences in our Parramatta office. Okay, thanks. So what types of discrimination do you help with? So we help with age discrimination, sex, race, disability discrimination, homosexuality discrimination, transgender status discrimination, carers responsibilities discrimination, and marital status discrimination. We also deal with complaints about race vilification, HIV AIDS vilification, homosexual vilification, and transgender vilification. Now vilification is a public act which has the potential to incite hatred, serious contempt, or severe ridicule. We also deal with sexual harassment and victimization. Okay, that's a big um, yeah, it's mix. very broad. <laughs> yeah, broad number. And of... within that, we deal um, in some some of the grounds. We might deal with um, actual discrimination based on someone's actual age or the presumption of what age they are, or whether they're um, they're being discriminated because of their association with someone of a certain age. Okay, thanks. Uh, So what sort of settings does this unlawful discrimination occur in? Well, broadly speaking, it's areas of public life. So they um, comprise employment, goods and services, 
education, accommodation and registered clubs. Now, in regards to education, some of the grounds um, don't apply to private institutions. Okay. So when you talk about grounds, that's the types of discrimination? That's yes, that's exactly about. right. So that's yes. the language that you use? Yes, so you have your grounds, age, sex, etc., yes. and uh, your area, which is employment, goods and services, etc. Okay, so that's clear. So the settings, as I call them settings, but it's areas. Areas. Yeah, okay. And how do people contact you? Well, we have an inquiry line. Um, which is 029-268-5544 or 1-800-670-812 if you're calling out of Sydney. Okay, and we'll put the details of that inquiry line into the show notes for this episode so yes. people can, um, can find that easily as well as a link to your website which has all those details on it. So what is the most common discrimination complaints that you get Okay, so last in the last financial year of the total number of complaints uh, we had, 27.8% related to disability, 15.6% to race, 11% to victimisation and 9% to sex, sex discrimination. Right, so it's quite broad then. And then in of those total complaints, 44.3% of them related to employment and 349 were in goods and services. So when you say goods and services, that's like being offered something to um, Receiving or providing goods and services. So for example, a common one we get is if someone's in a store and they feel like they're being harassed because of their race, for example. So they're, they're in the um, stage of trying to acquire goods and services and they feel like they're being discriminated. In right. But then they could also be discriminated against in the terms they're they receive the goods and services as well. Right, yeah. okay. All right. And um, how do you help when someone first calls you about something they feel is discrimination? Well, anyone can call our inquiry line and discuss their issue with an inquiry officer. So our inquiry officers, they can clarify the grounds and the areas covered under the legislation and discuss the sort of information that would um, be needed to be provided as part of a complaint. Now, inquiry officers can't offer legal advice, but they're able to provide referral information to legal services. No one needs to make a complaint and at that stage when they're calling the inquiry line, and in fact, complaints must be in writing and can't be made over the phone. Oh, okay. So they just can um, help them understand what is unlawful discrimination yes. and what their options are. Yes. Okay. And um, so you help them to decide to put in a complaint. So how do they then do that? Well, we can't formulate complaints for people, but complaints must be in writing. And on our website, there is a complaints form available. Alternatively, um, complaints can just be in the form of an email and sent to complaintsadb at justice.nsw.gov.au or posted to us uh, the addresses on our website. At the moment, lodging complaints by email rather than post is strongly recommended because there's significant delays with complaints received by mail. Okay. And what if the person um, has a disability and they're 
being supported by someone, can they lodge it for them? Or? Yes, you can lodge a complaint uh, on behalf of somebody else and part of the complaint form allows you to, for them to give consent um, for that to happen and for that representative be, to be the person that we deal with. Okay, great. And then once someone puts in their complaint, what's the most common outcome for people? Well, generally, if a complaint goes to conciliation, then what we generally, the, the uh, most popular outcome or the most common outcomes are statements of regret, uh, financial compensation for economic loss and emotional distress, and sometimes training of staff and sometimes reinstatement if it's an employment related matter. Right. So where you started that sentence by saying, if it goes to conciliation. So there's obviously a lot that happens before that. Yeah, so what happens before that is that we would contact the person that is being complained about, so the respondent, and get them to give us their um, side of the story, so provide us with a written response. And then we would provide that written response to the complainant or the complainant's representative and they would have an opportunity to comment on it. And then we would assess all the information we have from both parties about the complaint and we make a decision as to whether to try and conciliate the complaint or to recommend that the complaint be declined. Now the most common ground for the complaint to be declined is that it's lacking in substance. So it's, it's not that you have to prove your complaint, but it has to have substance. It has to be the most plausible explanation, if you like, for what's occurred, that it was discrimination on the basis of one of the protected characteristics under the Act. Right. And if it's declined, you could, um, and you wanted to continue with your complaint, you can apply to the New South Wales Civil and Administrative Tribunal um, in what's called a leave hearing for them to to hear your complaint. Okay, but if um, if it's decided not to um, pursue the complaint or keep going with conciliation, do you sit down with the person and explain to them why and, and help them understand? If it's declined, do you mean? Yeah, yeah. Generally, we would give them reasons why it's declined, but we wouldn't give, they, they would be quite a summary, I suppose, of the reasons why yes. it's declined. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. And so how are you different to the Australian Human Rights Commission, who I understand also help with discrimination complaints? So there's some differences in the scope and coverage of federal and state legislation. So, for example, in New South Wales, vilification based on a person's transgender status is unlawful, and that's not the case in federal legislation. And, for example, regarding sexual harassment, the president of the Anti-Discrimination Board has the discretion to accept complaints that relate to events that occurred more than 12 months before lodgement of the complaint, unlike the Australian Human Rights Commission. And then, generally, both uh, Anti-Discrimination New South Wales and the Human Rights Commission will consider whether they should investigate a complaint and they both conduct the same um, dispute resolution process that is conciliation. The main differences generally arise if the matter doesn't resolve. So if the complaint is lodged with the Australian Human Rights Commission and remains unresolved, 
the complainant may have the option of lodging a claim with the Federal Court of Australia or the Federal Circuit Court, whereas unresolved matters from anti-discrimination New South Wales are referred by us to the New South Wales Civil and Administrative Tribunal, that's NCAT. So the court process is more formal, more time consuming and more expensive than a claim at NCAT. Um, however, unlike the courts, there's a cap of $100,000 on the amount of damages you can seek at NCAT. Again, though, the courts are a cost jurisdiction, unlike NCAT, which means that if you win you, in a court, you can seek recovery of your costs from the other party, but if you lose, the other party can do the same. Whereas NCAT, except in its special circumstances, is not a cost jurisdiction and each party bears their own costs regardless of who wins. Okay. And so I guess that's part of the legal help if people want to think about their options when they're talking to lawyers, they'll explain those options to Yeah, them. we ask complainants to talk to to their legal rep about the pros and cons of lodging a complaint in the different jurisdictions. Yes. your one or two key messages for them if they're helping a client who has experienced or is experiencing discrimination? Well number one is that while the initial threshold for us to accept a complaint for investigation is very low, the complaint can be declined as lacking in substance during the course of, investi of the investigation as we discussed. Therefore the more information that's providing, that's provided linking the area and the ground the better. So if you've, you know, the more information um, suggesting that there's a causal link between a person's sex and their termination from their employment, the better. So it has to be at least plausible that the complainant has suffered a detriment because they have a protected characteristic. It's not enough to say, I am female and I lost my job, therefore I must have been sexually discriminated against. Okay. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is that it's really important that the client has realistic expectations regarding both the timeline and the potential outcomes of the complaints process. So we have a process which in most instances takes at least a couple of months before we even get to conciliation. That's the investigation. Uh, then if we do go to conciliation, if the complainant is not realistic about their settlement proposal, it's unlikely to resolve. So it's really helpful for representatives to make their clients aware that if they proceed to NCAT and successfully prove their complaint on the balance of probabilities, which is what they have to do at NCAT, then NCAT generally awards very small amounts of damages. Right, okay. So, um, and you as a conciliation officer, how do you help with that when you're bringing the two parties together? Do you spend time with them individually? Yeah, so the typical conciliation conference would start with um, myself spending, having private sessions with both parties. And then I, we would have a joint session and then we might break into private sessions again. So my job is to facilitate a conversation, not take sides, and really do some reality, reality testing with both parties. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and sometimes I, I try to do that before the conference as well, so that the uh, complainant has realistic expectations when they put their settlement proposal on the table but sometimes that doesn't happen and we have to do it sort of on the spot. 
And do people normally have someone else with them during those conciliation meetings? It varies. We sometimes have legal representatives. It's not, uh, it's not a given that if a person asks to have a legal representative at the conference that they're allowed to do that. That's an assessment we make. So we have to grant permission to do that. So for example, if you've got two parties and the complainant is unrepresented and the respondent says they want to have a legal rep, we're probably unlikely to allow the respondent to have a legal rep. Even if the parties do have legal representation, then the conference is not about determining the legal merits of the complaint. It's about trying to resolve the complaint. So we don't engage in legal argument during the conciliation and we strongly encourage the parties to speak for themselves rather than through their representatives. Now sometimes people don't have representatives, uh, a legal rep or a union rep for example, but they might just want someone to come along as a support person and we would always allow someone to come along as a support person. They don't engage in the joint session of the conference but they're there to have discussions in the private sessions. And how much time, like what does a conference conciliation take. conference, is it like? <laughs> well, we um, we ask people to allow three hours. Right, okay. And so they sometimes take... they are shorter and sometimes <laughs> they're longer. Some, right. You know, there have been ones that have gone on for all day. Yes. We generally only have one though. We don't, we wouldn't normally have more than one conference in a matter unless we feel strongly that it's necessary. Uh, we might continue the conversations over the phone or but to have an actual conference, we we probably wouldn't do that. Okay. And you were saying at the beginning about the COVID restrictions, meaning that you've been using uh, Teams, MS Teams to yes. run these conferences. How's that been? It's been okay, actually. I think as conciliators, we're all a bit worried about not being able to have face-to-face conferences because we all feel quite strongly that that's a really important part of the process, that that complaints don't resolve as well if you're just having a telephone conversation, even if it's a, you know, telephone conference. Mm-hmm. Um, but Teams has been good and we're, you know, as we all sort of get a bit more expertise with it, it's been okay and they've added some additional functionality so that you can have private sessions as well. So that's that's made a difference as yes. well. And because I was just wondering about people who live in rural and regional New South Wales, do you think it's um, helping to make it more accessible or what did you do then? Did you used we to travel? We used to travel. We okay. did We did used to travel. Um, with some, sometimes we would do it on the phone. But, yes, we, we were expected to and were happy to travel to help parties resolve complaints. Great. Well, thank you so much, Sally, for your time today. I've really appreciated having this conversation with you. And um, as I said earlier, the information about how to get in touch with Anti-Discrimination New South Wales will be in the show notes. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed the episode and found it useful, please share it with your organisation, your colleagues and communities. If you would like to access any of the information spoken about in the episode, please see the links in the show notes below. Until next time, thanks from all of us here at the CLE branch at Legal Aid New South Wales.